Hello and welcome to the How to Trade Like a Pro podcast. I'm Wieland Alt. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Tom Starke about his job as a hedge fund manager, where the differences between hedge fund management and retail trading are, and what quantitative analysis is all about. Before we start, please take a closer look to the risk disclaimer in the show notes. I'm here with Tom Starke, Dr. Tom Starke. Um, Tom, you're in Sydney, or next to Sydney, you're in the Blue Mountains. I already visited you, and now I'm really happy to be back together with you in one virtual room just to discuss about trading, leverage, risk management, stop loss, and of course, trading at all. So welcome to my new podcast, Tom, and I'm happy to see you again. Hey, thank you, Vilan, for inviting me. Uh, it's a real honor to be here. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to a great chat. Um, I really hope the internet's gonna hold up this time. Um, <laughs> as we uh, as we just discussed, we live in uh, or we're staying in <laughs> not very developed countries right now. So I... let's see how we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in general, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the more I travel, the more I ask myself, okay, what is this so-called third world? again because I'm not so sure anymore you know so because everything is pretty old needs to be remodeled stuff like that and uh, this is what what i experience all the time but of course i mean it's just a single view for myself and well every every country country every well, first second or third world has its ups and downs of course as well i'm pretty sure right yes yes i mean you're much more of a traveler than i am i'm i'm pretty much staying put here in this Greater Sydney area at the moment. And I yeah. really enjoyed it. Uh, so I haven't really traveled since COVID. <laughs> so uh, it's just enjoying the beautiful nature here in the Blue Mountains. Um, yeah, but yeah. It's for a reason. For yeah. a reason. And as you know, you're, as I know, you're also a very passionate climber. You do climbing over there. Therefore, you're just in a perfect place. Exactly for that, right? Yes, correct, correct. It gets me out of the house a bit, which is nice. Mm. Yeah, but of course, you also have to stay in the house. And now I want to just go over to, well, you know, a little bit more into trading fashion. And as you, you mentioned, and I, I knew when I was there in October, uh, you already told me, came okay, and I, I have a new job. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working now. Because you're a hedge fund manager, but now you're working again as hedge fund manager. So is that always the case? Sometimes you have some, you know, some days or weeks or months off. So far, as I learned, and you're pretty excited about what you're doing. So tell, just tell us a little bit more about your new position, what you're doing, and what what I can what you can learn from that. So um, in this, I'm not I'm not the, the actual manager of the fund. Um, I'm the uh, the senior quant guy there. So. I'm developing uh, the uh, quantitative uh, models uh, for the investment mm -hmm. strategies, and um, so so you know there's always it's always quite an operation. You know there's quite a lot of uh, people involved in IT and so on, and uh, my job is to develop uh, models to trade you know large sums of money, um, well over a billion dollars um, using. Uh, quantitative model so so the um operation is uh automated automated and fully systematic only 
and I, you know that I cannot do everything myself, obviously. So there is always a team of people that develop the connectivity to the markets and so on. And I built the mathematical and quantitative uh, underlying trading systems, and and I researched them and so on. And they're usually based on a large amount of of different assets and, and strategies and so on. How, how does it really work? I know from our last in-person in, in meeting and, and what, when we were talking and also a little bit just, you know, playing around with, with the algorithms, um, that it's not really something that, that uh, the everyday trader does, like, you know, retail trader usually do a little bit other way of, you know, doing some portfolio management or, uh, let's say, trading systems. You You have, as far as I know and I remember, you use several systems just to put it into one, right? Mm, well, yes, the the uh, idea is effectively that you diversify as much as possible. So the, um, Harry Markowitz, I think it was, he was a Nobel Prize winner and he was also the father of modern portfolio theory. And he said, diversification is the only free lunch in finance. And what that means is effectively that Whatever you do in finance is, you, you always pay a price for it. You know, if you increase your returns, you, you also increase your risk and, and so on. Yeah. The only thing that is somehow, uh, that, that hasn't got much of a downside as such is, is if you diversify. So, so the more you diversify, you can um, actually imp increase or improve your performance overall without paying a price for that. I mean, that's not always strictly 100% true. And some uh, some people might object to that and say, yeah, but what about this? But I would say, uh, by and large, this is actually the case. And diversification is not just using uh, different underlying stocks, for example, but it's really uh, diversifying not just in the assets you trade, but in the asset classes. So using different different types of assets for example options futures uh stocks then and also uh, different sectors you can trade commodities fixed income um again equities indices uh, foreign exchange and so on then you can also diversify in terms of time yeah. frames you can trade really fast trading strategies uh, much slower ones and so on and You know, and you can also diversify, of course, in the types of strategies you trade. So, you know, we may have uh, whatever trend following, mean reverting, um, alternative database strategies in your portfolio. So that's actually quite a lot of diversification uh, that you yeah. can do. And um, there's an interesting, um, there's an interesting um, um, formula, Grinnold and Kahn presented that in their book active portfolio management where basically the the performance the risk adjusted performance that you can have as a manager is effectively your um your skill which which is one part of the formula times the square root of breadth and breadth mm -hmm. is effectively how diversified you are so as you increase your 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 breadth the order your level of diversification Uh, that only um, 
increases your performance uh, by the square root of what you add. But nevertheless, so for example, if you're not very skilled and you want to still perform well, what you can do is increase the breadth of your of your strategies uh, that you use or of your underlying assets and you can do well. Whereas, for example, um, mm -hmm. say Warren Buffett, he's incredibly smart and he only has a very small breadth, but he's got uh, he's got the smarts effectively. And uh, uh, it's, it's also called the information yeah. coefficient. <laughs> so so the, the, the level of skill that you have is is given by something called the information coefficient. And so so this is an interesting formula um, that, that basically tells you, you know, where you can be at uh, as a trader. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned one very important point apart from Warren Buffett, because I'm, I'm a little bit critical about Warren Buffett, not, not that he really achieved like something outstanding, that that's the case. But usually a lot of people just feel like, oh, I want to be like Warren Buffett, which is, of mm. course, understandable. But honestly speaking, I'm pretty sure that if you invest like Warren Buffett, you will not come to the same results for the simple reason you don't have that lever. And the lever is, I'm, I'm very sure he has all the numbers of all the CEOs of all the companies right in his, in his notebook. So whenever something goes wrong, he just calls the CEO and kicks ass, right? <laughs> Well, this is what you definitely cannot do right? as a private investor. I think that's one point. But apart from this, um, the the idea of talking about portfolio or, or you know diversification is especially something what what really differs um, what you do on institutional professional. I mean, we all are professionals, but you're institutional professional basis uh, from private investors being also professional. But usually, people talk about different assets, different, you know, sectors of economy, maybe also not, not just companies, but also, you know, some, some, some other, maybe Forex as well. And, and, you know, something like this, but you are also talking and especially you are talking about uh, strategies to combine. So you're something like, you know, like, like, like a, a fund, which combines a lot of different approaches. And it's also can mean that you can trade one asset in various time zones, like let's say you, you trade Forex, for example, you trade Forex on a weekly basis, on a one minute basis, and are long and short at the same time. Is it like that? Yes, yes. Uh, the interesting thing is uh, when you have a different strategy or when you have, say, a strategy or different strategies that apply to the same underlying assets, mm -hmm. when you look at the performance, it's almost like you create a new asset. Um, so if you say trade a specific strategy, let's say it's just, just uh, some Forex uh, pair and you do it for various, uh, you know, various different strategies. And let's just assume these strategies are largely uncorrelated. Mm -hmm. It's as if you would create new, new underlying or new assets or new products. So each of these strategies can also be seen to some extent as its own product. And um, I mean, you know that that there's ETFs that that trade different strategies in the market and that they are classified as products themselves. So, yeah. And 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 then you let's say you apply the same strategy to various different underlying products. So you've got 
uh, you know, the number of the strategies you have times the number of products. And so suddenly uh, your, yeah. you know, your, the number of, of, of things you can trade increases a lot. What's important here is though, and this is, this is something that needs to point, needs to be pointed out is that whenever you talk about diversification, you have to make sure that whatever you diversify with is largely uncorrelated or, or the correlations between these things are relatively low because if you have say two strategies that are essentially performing the same way they, they look pretty much the same in terms of their returns then you you could just get rid of one you know it's just like trading one strategy and times two so that's not that doesn't count uh if you have different or if you want to diversify you have to make sure that that your diversification is is largely uncorrelated um mm -hmm. and and if that's not the case then you're you're not really diversifying yeah yeah true i mean just to make it just a, a, an example is like you know let's say you're very uh, happy about gold, so you buy gold physical, you trade gold future and go into mining companies for gold, right? Mm. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's that's exactly, that's that's one of these things, you know. But having said that, uh, for example, uh, there are trades, uh, you know, where you trade, say, a, a pair between, say, gold mining company and the gold ETF. Yeah. And that, that could be you know that that or at least you know ernie chan in his book uh in one of his books for example he talks about this where he does a pair straight between gold and a gold mining company so that's um that's definitely you know an in interesting uh, aspect of trading using uh, statistical arbitrage or, or commonly known as pairs trading yeah. and and obviously these these things is like you know, like gold and, and gold miners or so, that they're quite correlated, but uh, you could still um, you could still trade them as a pair sometimes. I'm not sure if the gold gold miner trade still works, <laughs> so I can't I can't say that for sure. But this is a typical example of something that that is still possible to trade. So so when I talk about diversification, uh, it's not um, it's it's not just that it also depends on the types of strategies now if you do a pair of straight gold versus gold miners and you look at the performance and let's assume it still works which i haven't checked for years um then when you look at the outcome of that so so, so the actual the actual pairs trading pnl yeah. that would most likely be very uncorrelated to gold as well as gold miners so that's interesting because, for example, you could trade gold, you could trade gold miners separately, but then you could also uh, trade the pair straight, which is really quite uncorrelated, most likely to, to the underlying instruments. <clears throat> yeah. So the correlation coefficient would probably be far less than 0 0.3, I would say. Okay. So what are you looking for when you combine a lot of strategies and correlations and, you know, just to make sure that um the well the, the combination of different strategies time frames assets and of course also directions really makes perfectly sense and maybe also like trading frequency i mean there are strategies which trade every second and there are strategies trading one time a year something like that so how yeah. 
what are you looking for and what what are the measurements for you to really to say okay that's that's something i use in my portfolio and that's something i just skip and you will know, drop it well i mean <clears throat> what you're looking for is an interesting one because uh, funny enough a lot of it uh, hinges on on experience it's actually yeah. quite quite difficult because there's, there's a number of factors that you look for when you when you research strategies that make a strategy particularly interesting or not interesting and it's not always uh, or it, there is no clear-cut recipe for that because that could vary depending on the frequency of your strategy uh, for example or on the risk profile of your strategy and so on so if you for example had a strategy that trades once a week uh, what you're looking for is most likely different uh, than uh, a strategy that trades once a second or so yeah. so it takes a little bit of experience or a little bit or quite a bit of experience to get a feel yeah. for what you're looking for but mm -hmm. one thing that i want to point out especially for the retail traders out there when you look at the performance of a strategy and this is this is what many people don't do and and what people should do i've seen this a lot uh, when i talk to retail traders you should always assess the performance of your strategy against a benchmark and the benchmark is usually uh, you know a buy and hold of the underlying assets so if you for example trade the us market us stocks uh, what you really want to do is you want to compare that to say a buy and hold uh, strategy of the s p 500 and see yeah how it performs in comparison to that. Or if you trade um, Forex, you know, you want to maybe uh, compare it to the Euro USD pair or something like this. Um, and it's really, really important to, <clears throat> to do that. It's really, really crucial that you make this, make this comparison to a benchmark. Uh, and, and that's, that's standard in, in, in asset management, but, a lot of people in the retail world they miss it and if you don't do that you can't really tell uh, is that strategy actually any good or not you just see a line on a on a chart but but it doesn't mean much and the other thing is um which is also important don't always don't just look at at your um at the return of the strategy what you should really be more interested is the risk adjusted return or, or also called the sharp ratio mm -hmm. so so that is a much better measure of whether a strategy is actually a good strategy or not. Um, the return itself uh, doesn't really tell you all that much. Um, you should really, you should really uh, focus on the return per unit of risk mm -hmm. or the sharp ratio. And, and that also helps you to compare different strategies with each other. So I think, you know, in simple terms that's that's probably what you should look for uh, mostly right what are you looking for i mean what is your benchmark so what what is what do you try to beat on a regular oh, so, well well not not really trying to beat anything quite frankly um it's more yeah i use for example uh, when when Let's, let's just say I trade a basket of futures. Uh, then I, I, as a benchmark, I just use a combination, an equal weighted portfolio of the underlying futures, uh, buy and hold as my benchmark, let's just say. It's really yeah. simple. And, you know, I just say, well, if I would take all the underlying assets and I, I, 
buy and hold them? Uh, how would the performance look compared to what I'm uh, my trading strategies? Yep. And that's a sort of just just a, just gives me a, a good benchmark. And and really, I mean, when when you when you trade large portfolios, you're not expecting, you know, like the like the crypto guys, a thousand percent per year. Also, that's that's just not um, that's just not achievable. So it's, what you normally do is you 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 go for a very modest or often retail people they think oh but but actually achieving a return say of fifteen percent a year, that's that's a good return when you uh, work. In a, in a large asset management firm. I mean, um, if you have, a, say, a billion dollars, uh, 15% means you make $150 million per year. That's not too shabby. Um, so, so yeah, you're not going, you're not going for, um, you're not going for like huge returns, but what you're really looking for is how much return can I make per unit of risk? So I wanna obviously reduce my risk as much as I possibly can, <laughs> ideally zero, which is never achievable. And I want to get as much return per risk that I can. So that's so that's the main that's the main aspect of my work is is looking for returns per risk uh, being as good as possible. Yeah. I mean, thanks for, for sharing also like like uh, really profit expectations in terms of like, okay, 15%, you're already more or less outstanding, you know, because this is quite a huge misconception in, in the eyes of, of retail traders because they feel like, okay, if I have a, a performance of 10, 12, 15% a year, I'm still poor, you know, feels like that. But <laughs> you're amongst the best hedge fund managers and fund managers in the world, right? You're, 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 you're top class if you achieve this on a regular basis. But yes. given that, also, you're, you're also, and you mentioned this already, um, just moving a billion around is, of course, a different um, situation than just playing around with, let's say, a couple of, of thousands or $100,000 or 200, whatever. Right, so you're you 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 cannot move the way like a retail trader could do. Uh, that's true. You you've got first of all you've got a lot more responsibility, uh, and and that's 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 obviously a very very important aspect of that. Uh, if you you know it's it, it I mean if you lose your own money that that's not fun, uh, but if you lose other people's money that can be uh, a lot a lot more uh, upsetting in some ways so it's important to have that on the other hand of course you have to live with the fact that you win you lose on a regular basis so uh, you know if there's no way anyone can really achieve uh, wins every day i mean having said that if you're in the high frequency trading uh, business then um, a lot of, like these firms they can achieve winning day almost every day uh, that's possible but it's a different game and it's incredibly difficult technologically. And the other thing is it also cannot handle large uh, volumes of money. So it's it's a very different game, which um, I'm not involved in currently. So if you are in a normal asset management firm, you win, you lose. That's just, that's just daily uh, routine. But having said that, 
you got to be really, really mindful of how much uh, how much risk you take with the trades, and and also when when do you see that your strategy makes losses that are unexpected or abnormal? Yep. So there's a lot of statistics to be done on a regular basis on on whether your strategy is still within the parameters of what you would expect, or maybe it, it already goes outside of these parameters, in which case you have to be careful. Now, is that applicable to retail traders? In some ways, yes, because even as a retail trader, you can achieve or you can actually uh, uh, handle or you can you can diversify. It's possible. It's just more difficult. It's more uh, it's more management and bookkeeping to do to be able to diversify. Obviously, it helps if you are able to systematically trade to to automate your trades to some extent. But it's definitely possible. And um, when I was still retail, I would definitely diversify quite a bit. And um, so so you can do it. It's not as easy, probably. Mm -hmm. But I know people that that are in the retail space that are well able to do it. So. I mean, in general, talking about limitations and, of course, also responsibilities. I mean, that's very, very important also to understand that that you cannot move the same way like you would do, like if you just manage your own money. Because if you win or lose, it's still your money. And if you lose money, okay, you could go for another job or whatever. But if you lose people's money, different story for sure, right? So, so we, of course, cannot uh, forget about this. But what I also like to like to point out is, and also maybe discuss, is that you're also limited with markets, right? So you're like sentenced to go for big markets because when you load or upload on the market, you know, or, or buy or sell, you really have to take care that you don't make your own prices with a billion. Saying that, mm -hmm. I mean, you're not the only one with that problem, but but that's quite a classic. Classic, classic situation for institutional trading, right? Yes, yes, of course. Um, you you do move the markets significantly when you trade large volumes. Uh, that there's no two ways around it. And the question is, or there's there's two things. The question is, first of all, how much do you move the market given a certain volume, or we yeah. call it participation rate. So how much how much uh, do you actually move the market? And then the other thing is, if if that is so, there is still the option to implement some more clever execution systems or algorithms yeah. that actually help you to achieve a reasonably good price without moving the market too much. So there is whole a whole other um, area of, of, of trading. It's called. A lot of people call this algorithmic trading while they call the um, more the, the asset management side or the trading strategies as such more called systematic trading, whereas execution is actually the domain of the algorithms. And algorithms uh, in, in execution are basically, you know, thinking about how do I have to position myself on the bid-ask side, uh, on the different uh, price levels in order to minimize the impact of my trade in the market and achieve as good a price as I possibly can. Now, for one individual trade, uh, 
that's almost it almost looks like as if it was random um, generally but if you have hundreds or thousands of trades you can actually see quite a distinct trend it's a bit like you know tossing a coin you know if, if you if you toss a coin it's it's like 50 50 if you get heads or tails but if you do it a million times you can clearly see a trend to you know 50 percent heads and 50 percent tails and so yeah. if you build good execution algorithms in in one one trade it doesn't really do anything but over time statistically you can see that for example you can improve your execution by uh, you know a few ticks or so and if you trade large amounts of money that that those those few ticks really can impact your performance quite significantly yeah. and hence uh there's a big focus on on those things mm. which sounds like it's it's a little bit more important how to execute trades than what kind of trades you do for a um, single right it, 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 not, not necessarily, but definitely helps. So let's just say, uh, as an example, you you have uh, each one of your trades has an e expected return of, let's say, 15 basis points or 0.15%. Mm -hmm. Now, if if you execute and your slippage is five basis points, so, so, so uh, 0 0.04, you know 0.05 percent um then that's already uh one third of your pnl gone just by one trade and if you if you do this both ways in and out of the trade then there's a huge amount of your pnl gone already just like that and so having a good execution makes a big big difference uh in 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 the profits uh you can make so if you can reduce, say, from uh, your 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 slippage or your loss execution losses from five basis point to one basis point, then you immediately go from losing ten basis points on your trade to two basis points on your trade, which is huge. It's it's five times less, uh, and and clearly that you know that really helps uh, to improve your strategies yeah. massively. True. I mean, it's it's the same trade, but different story, different outcome. And the other side of the coin is also you you are, you are talking about a profit of let's say fifteen you know fifteen points or pips, but if you make a loss of fifteen pips, you still have like ten pips on top of of slippage, but you get just like five back as a profit. The equation doesn't work at all, right? So of course, this is something to work on. Exactly, and and you know if you can do this over time every single trade then of course that compounds as well and yeah. uh you know obviously the outcome will be much much better now it's interesting because because some people don't really realize it but a lot of brokers actually offer offer these um execution algorithms and and i notice a lot of retail traders say oh what do you do with this stuff and they're not really aware of it but uh, if you um if you actually have a look and, and you can see that your broker offers that, it can really be quite helpful to use those or at least do a bit of research on them because they can really save you quite a bit of money in, when you're trading. Yeah. Even even for a small retail trader, that can really help. Yeah, I mean, another point is that, that also small, especially small retail traders, we also suffer from, from fees, you know, broker fees, 
uh, might be different if you're trading like you really huge, you know, huge sums of money. Of course, you have a, a, a different basis as an institutional trader, but as a private trade trader, you're literally the ATM for everybody, right? So of course, <laughs> you need to be aware of that as well, yeah. right? And true. I mean, it's really important when you um, when you do this as a as a retail trader. Yeah. Uh, it you know like like a lot i see a lot of traders they look at oh which platform is the easiest to use True. and that's a big mistake <laughs> really what you should look for is what who has the lowest fees um and and even if the platform is a bit clunky i think that's just much preferable to you know to to then uh uh paying for for the for the convenience with a higher fees Definitely. Another thing you mentioned, and I really want to point this out as well, is profit taking. So also this might be a misconception. Of course, I don't know really what everybody of, of re, or out of the retail trading field really thinks about institutional trading, but I'm pretty sure it's something like, okay, they have the perfect entry, they, they write the trend, you know, you, you, you stay in the position forever, really until your algorithm tells you, oh, now the journey is over, you have to get out. But now mm. I listen like, and hear like, yeah, 50 points, I'm done. Is it that mm. way? And well, not really. I mean, um, it, it, you know, obviously everyone also in institutional trading has their own philosophy. Well, and what's interesting is when you, when you do, and, and I've, I've only recently put a little YouTube video out about this, <laughs> funny enough. When you... Um, I linked this, by yeah. the way. I linked this oh, in the show. Okay, okay great. When you do an analysis of let's let's just say you take a whole lot of strategies, maybe hundreds or thousands, and you know you, you let's just say you use a strategy, you do a parameter sweep, and you look at at the risk adjusted returns of these strategies, mm -hmm. and then you take uh, say a profit take and a stop loss, and you apply like uh, many many different. Uh, profit takes and stop losses uh, to these strategies, lots and lots of them. So you just basically just do a statistical analysis of, you know, thousands of strategies and thousands of different profit take and stop loss levels applied to these thousands of strategies. What you find is that only in a very, very small percentage of cases, stop losses and profit takes actually improve your performance your risk adjusted performance so in 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 the vast majority of cases when you have just just regular you know say uh, um, automated systematic trading strategies applying stop losses and profit takes rarely ever improves your risk adjusted performance now i'm not saying oh don't do stop losses and profit takes uh you know everyone else everyone has their own philosophy what I'm saying is um, that when you apply this, you have to be really careful because quite often, you know, when people say, oh, let your profits run, what, what, what they mean really is that, okay, you know, we, when we're letting the strategy go its natural course rather than chopping it uh, with a stop loss or chopping it uh, with, a, with a profit take, yeah. you just let it, you just let it uh, go its course. And, what you find is in a lot of cases, uh, you really have 
statistically speaking, a better risk-adjusted performance uh, of these strategies. So, of course, of course, you what you know, everything I say, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. This is my research, um, and of course, I'm more than happy because I'm a scientist as well, uh, and, and I've got a physics PhD. So I'm more than happy that you come along and just prove me wrong Golden. and say hey, it's not true. And I can show you why it's not true. And I'm more than happy to to look at this and accept it. <laughs> so um, obviously we, you know, we always improve and we always learn in this space. What 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 you're saying is that literally it's like okay, stop loss using stop loss is not that necessary, and it could also harm your strategy, right? Um, well, harming is is probably the wrong word uh, i would say it more a little bit more uh, in a sort of uh, quantitative terms it could degrade your risk adjusted performance <laughs> maybe yeah. that sounds a little bit more neutral here yeah. um, harming is is always a, a, probably not a good term um, but you know at least from my research i find that that in, in, in a very small percentage of the cases that yeah. I have uh, uh, looked at, less far less than 10%, it actually improves your risk-adjusted performance over, over the, the pure strategy without any stop losses or profit takes. So, of course, there might be classes of strategies where this is not the case. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so uh, you, know, it, you know, all these things... That, that I say they're not generalized statements, they're just just results of, of research I've done, but you know, sure. they, there could be other cases where, where this is not necessarily true. But this is definitely a, a very strong trend statistically, and so it shouldn't be dismissed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember when I was so when, when we were together in your house and we were playing around with some algorithms, and you know, we, we were testing some strategies and and Turned out the strategy worked well without a stop loss. Didn't work that well with a stop loss. Of course, still I'm, I don't, don't really want to believe that it's it's a good idea really to to say okay maybe I just give it a bit too much room because especially from coming from the retail side where a lot of people just go into a trade with a lever like trading CFDs, forex, but also futures, right? So. Um, what happens if I if I trade intraday and don't have a stop loss? Of course, there are several moves in the market which just go like let's say two or three points below the low, and then return back to the to the long side and to the trend. But also, and this may might be the biggest concern, maybe also I just I have I don't know that once you 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 leave the stop loss and go without there is this one trade that drops down to the bottom and mm -hmm. kills the account but mm -hmm. is this really often is this really the possibility the trade or are we just like to well too anxious about this what do you think uh no you're not too anxious uh i'm i'm generally anxious also as a re uh, from when i put my retail hat on i'm anxious about using leverage in general yeah leverage it, and so again, it's not to say you shouldn't use leverage. Uh, leverage can be extremely helpful, yeah. but if you if you use a lot of leverage and then you think you can save yourself with putting in a stop loss, 
I, I would say, and I could say this quite confidently, that that you're 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 really mistaken in some ways. Um, you got to be really really careful with this because you're almost almost always uh, on a on a losing track if you have to do this. Now, leverage is a very interesting problem, and people have actually thought a lot about this and and how much leverage in in your strategy is actually acceptable mm -hmm. and um, there is a mathematical concept uh, you may have heard of it's called the kelly formula that discusses this but yeah. if you're really interested in in actually understanding a bit more about how much leverage you can or should use to make your strategy effective there is a really good uh, book or ralph vince who um who used to work with uh, Williams, uh, Larry Williams, uh, pre previously? He wrote a book on the mathematics of of portfolio management, <clears throat> and he talks quite extensively about the amount of leverage uh, you should be using. And he applies a lot of mathematical formulas <clears throat> to this. So, so let's just say you have a specific trading strategy, and you're not sure how much leverage you could apply. You can use uh, some of uh, Ralph Vince's models, for example, okay. uh, calculate the leverage. Now, I have to say that there is a, uh, there, there is actually a really interesting um, thing here, because on one hand, we have uh, something like modern portfolio theory or Markowitz uh, portfolio management, for example, like simple, also called the mean variance portfolios, and they are in some sense designed uh, for asset managers that want to keep their performance uh, very steady and stable, which is what I'm mostly doing. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, Ralph Vince is a bit different. What he does is he says, well, I've got a trading account. I want to just maximize my return no matter what without getting wiped out, of course. And so what he does is he actually he actually calculates what is the maximum risk he can take to increase his uh, performance. And in his portfolios, uh, you end up with huge swings up and down, with huge drawdowns. But overall, you, you, know, you end up with a much higher uh, return. So if you're an asset manager managing money for other people, you couldn't afford this because... Uh, no. You know that the phone would ring twenty four seven if you did that. But sure. if you're a small retail trader, um, you may well have a look at that because if you have an account and you really want to just increase uh, your 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 profits and you don't care how big the swings are, then um, something like Ralph Vincent's models might just be the right thing for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and what's interesting is, of course he discusses this idea of leverage because there is actually when when you trade a specific strategy there is usually a very very narrow um window of 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 opportunity or goodness in in which you can actually play with the leverage and if you make that window just a little bit too wide and 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 you just overstep it and just apply a tiny little bit too much leverage that could really be um that could really be your end you know that could really wipe you out quite quickly whereas if you just stay below that then then you could really maximize your returns and so 
so it's it's important to be to be aware of that yeah i mean speaking of ralph wins in the collaboration with larry williams I'm not really sure where I heard this, but somebody and somehow I heard about this that the cooperation of Ralph Wins and Larry Williams was more or less the main factor of the huge profits he made during the trading championship. Can you confirm this or am I totally wrong? Not sure uh, about it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I cannot confirm this per se. I don't really know the story, but I heard that as well. Uh, I think. I think I may have even read it in Ralph Vince's book. Uh, yeah. some... So yes, um, yes, I, I think that is definitely some truth to it. And it makes a lot of sense because interestingly, a lot of people think that, that oh, it's the trading strategy and, and say the entries and exits that one uses to increase the performance. Mm -hmm. But in truth, uh, what is actually a lot more important is the sizing of your positions. That that is really what makes all the difference. Yeah. And if you have a great strategy, but you have poor position sizing, you know it it won't be performing very well. But if you have a mediocre strategy and really excellent position sizing, you might end up with a much much better strategy. So yeah. it's really important to remember that. And um, and yes, I, I think that. I mean, you know, I'm sure Larry Williams himself was probably an excellent trader as well. But um, yes, you know, if you really yes. want to up your performance, it's outstanding performance over the years. Mm, yeah, you know, and uh, of course, I'm not too familiar with all these uh, with the sort of technical analyst traders. Oh. This is my area, but um, that you know. There's, there's definitely something to be said for, for this type of, of trading where you focus a lot more on position sizing um, than, than most people do. And of course, I think a lot, lot of people shy away from it because in their eyes, it's probably a bit boring and it's probably also quite mathematical. So people go, oh, I can't do the maths and so on. But, you know, if you really grind your head into it, the maths is not that complicated. And, um, and it's just so helpful because you know, if you if you do this sort of thing and you're interested in trading, you may as well really dive into all the different aspects of what it entails to be a successful trader. And anyone who is successful in this field will tell you that position sizing is just phenomenally important. True. So, True. Especially so, in the long run, right? I mean, you can have a lucky punch, no problem. Of course you can do, but not in the long run, right? I mean, exactly. Exactly. You know, you ultimately it's all statistics right and yes uh, if someone tells me oh i made 100 percent this year what does it mean you know like uh you know if you if you traded bitcoin in the right periods you could make thousands of percent but you yeah. would have also lost a lot of it again and um it it's it's not important the, the important question is you know in yeah over many years what's your performance and for sure if, if you apply uh really tight and, and and well thought through position sizing then over over longer periods you will be far more successful than someone who doesn't really care about that yeah yeah let's return to your personal um risk management because the if if you if you put both things together that is uh not so sure about the stop loss 
but at the same time where we feel like, yeah, I want to have the risk adjusted performance. This looks on, on the first look, or first view, it looks like, and it seems like that these things really don't fit together. But if you add position sizing to the equation, it makes a perfect fit, doesn't it? Mm, yes, I mean, position sizing is is vital uh, for you know the, the type these types of of large scale systematic trading strategies and and this is this is really where a lot of the mathematics comes in. Uh, so you know we're we're getting quite sophisticated and there's a lot of linear algebra to be solved uh, when you deal with um, really good position sizing. Now, now what's interesting is, of course, if let's say um, you you're a retail trader, uh, there, there's this this effect that that no one can quite explain that that if you use equal weighted position sizing, in many cases it's not as good as a as a well sought through position uh, sizing algorithm, but it can still actually give you a fairly good performance. Uh, in comparison, so equal weighting should not be dismissed. It's it's actually generally quite, uh, in many cases, it's it's quite a, a good simple way of doing things. But uh, as I said before, then then um, if you want real performance, uh, or if, say if you don't care about your drawdowns and so on, and you just really want to increase your performance, then um, you, you know, you may as well go with something more sophisticated and and powerful. Now, as I said before, I don't personally use these things in my own work because uh, investors or people, you know, that you work for, they, they would be happy with these huge drawdowns. So we look more at a very steady uh, performance, which minimizes drawdowns and, and generates consistent returns over time. Right. So they're different philosophies, and they're all valid. But the question is for for oneself as a trader, or what is your investment objective? You know, it's there's a big difference if you're say 25 or 30 years old and you've got uh, 20 grand to spare, or if you if your trading is actually your life savings in your super fund. Uh, so so the way you approach these two scenarios would be very very different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're young, you can afford being a little bit more aggressive from my point of view, because even though it's, it's more risky, you have time to recover what you don't have if you're like more mature and senior and using your life savings, right? Exactly, exactly. But, you know, being more aggressive and being and taking too much risk are two totally different things. Um True. You know, uh, I always, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a rock climber. I used to be a mountaineer. And I, I always remember a famous story of the uh, Reinhold Messner, who was the first guy who climbed all 14, 8,000 meter peaks in his lifetime. Yeah. And he said one of the, re and obviously he was, he took quite a lot of risks, but he also said one of the reasons why he was actually the first is because more than anyone else, he would also turn around when he could see that things don't go anywhere. So a lot of the, the other mountaineers, they would still push and then perhaps die in the process. Whereas Messner, he he said, well, okay, things don't look good, I turn around. And he turned, 
as much as he managed to do all the, the peaks before anyone else, he was also the one who turned around more than anyone else. Yeah. And that's actually a really interesting analogy. And it's really important here, you know, being sure. taking risks and being uh, suicidal are two totally different things. And, yeah, sure. yeah. and, and yeah. I guess a lot of people struggle to see the difference, you yeah. know, like the you the yolo crowd you only live once i mean that's <laughs> that's definitely probably uh, a recipe for disaster in the long run <laughs> it may give you short term returns but um, yeah yeah but but that doesn't mean you shouldn't take risks if they are reasonably well calculated sure well yeah that's a point calculated risk i mean i'm a diver i did shark diving recently today i did some some you know not, not really cave dives but still were like close where we're some some kind of you know the mm -hmm. here in mexico which is awesome but still is like okay i know what i'm playing and i need to know the game so mm -hmm. that's very very important same like you know like rock climbing if you're hanging somewhere and you feel like oh i, I miscalculated something that's good mm -hmm. to know but then you have a problem right and the same is if you're in the markets but still, I will not let you go without really solving this puzzle of, because you already said, okay, Reinhard Messner, he, he also comes back, which is kind of stop loss too. So when do you exit a, a wrong position anyway? Do you exit it or do you roll or do you just hold forever? I mean, you cannot afford this as well, right? So what are you doing and when do you pull the trigger in terms of, oh, I'm on the wrong road and I exit? When and why? So, so, so in my own work, um, and, and you will probably be a bit surprised about this, but I don't have the um, notion of entries and exits at all. So when you when you actually look at the way my my systems are trading, you, all you see is positions scaling up or down. So so I've always got positions on in in in, in the instruments that I trade all the time. Okay. But based on, on the, the signals I get from what I call alphas or in, 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 in retail terms, the underlying strategies, they tell me uh, how to scale up my positions or scale them down. So I've got signals come in from different strategies, if you will. And then I've got another piece of of mathematics effectively telling me you know it's like some scaling mathematics and then yeah. that tells me how to scale my my positions in all the different instruments that i trade up and down and so the notion of entry and exit in a sense doesn't really exist in in my in my way of trading the only thing i do is if it says oh, okay you know you you got i don't know a position on of x and you scale it down to why you know yeah. I use some sort of execution algorithm then that then liquidates i don't know you know five percent or whatever of that particular position mm -hmm. so so that's i think interesting uh, and, and and a lot of people will probably be surprised about this but but i do not have entries and exits and so the idea of a stop loss shopping and anything isn't really isn't really there all, all all that ever happens is it says okay um um you know we, you know we, we we add a little bit to this position or we take a little bit away or 
yep. maybe we go, we go net short from net long or something like this but you know there is no none of none of that and and the reason for that is simply because when when my my systems have lots and lots of different signals coming in and and, and a lot of times they, they will be you know the opposite direction you know some of them will be will say or buy and then the others will will tell me uh, sell something like this and so what that needs to happen is you you manage all these signals uh, through some whatever mathematical formulas or some machine learning and then um and then that spits out okay this, this is now based on all the underlying signals that come in this is how you need to rescale your position on a particular day or particular hour or minute and so on and so um, that 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 way, uh, the idea of a stop loss doesn't actually even really exist in, in in that type of trading. Yeah. Okay. I see. And now everything is perfectly clear because you adjust your position according to your risk management. It means if you are like in in a, in the profit, you you adjust a bit. If you're in a loss, you adjust a bit. You buy and you know, like you're always playing around with the same uh, asset and well adjust the way you just need it without exiting at all just giving parts away and getting parts back right correct correct that that's yeah. exactly it and and so so that way you know you you get a constant consistent flow so to speak you know you know you trade yes and and it actually makes sense right why why would you just just go all in and then all out you know the, the markets are not like that they're like you know a price if you look at any stock price it it fluidly moves up and down every and so, price sure yes yeah. and so so why should your why should your trading strategy just go all in and then and then chop it all in the next instant <laughs> um yeah. it makes it, it you know it from a from a just from a from an intuitive perspective you you could say well actually just scaling it up and down makes makes a lot more sense but of course, there's, there's uh, good mathematical reasons for why, why this is true. Uh, but obviously, we're not here to discuss them too deeply. Yeah, but I love the idea because this is exactly the point I I I I was wanted uh, I wanted to go and to reach to really make make to show the difference between what we are raised as retail traders and what you are used to do because it's a totally different way of thinking as retail traders like getting in getting out getting the profit getting the loss okay and sum it up at like end of the week months quarter year whatever mm -hmm. but the other way around is is totally perfect both are good right because it but they're totally different approaches and i like both actually yes they're very different approaches and but i would say that that um if you if you approach it more from a risk angle rather than a profit angle yeah in the in the long run you you're much better off so so if you if you're taking the long view of of what you're doing and and in my opinion that's what you should do you should really take the long view mm -hmm. sure. then um you, you know you, you're definitely always uh, from a statistical point you're always better off if you focus more on risk than on return and again, like it, it makes sense because when you think about it, if you, if you had a strategy and you could minimize your losses, 
and you make a little bit of profit that that will that will just keep growing and keep growing whereas yeah you know you don't minimize your losses and you can expect some huge losses at some point then yes all the growth is is for nothing <laughs> it it doesn't help um and and so so even you know even if you take that, that simple thought experiment that that's already a great case to make for managing your risk properly yeah true true great awesome insights tom um as as a last question and mm -hmm. we already discussed this when we were talking in german as well so it's it's like what do you recommend somebody really try to or want to begin as a trader no matter from from what point of view retail or institutional so what what is the starting point from your point of view what do you think and what do you recommend uh it's a good good question uh, well i i think first of all um you know there's a few things i think nowadays if you if you're a retail trader even i would really recommend learning some programming um it's it's in my opinion vital because you need to understand the nature of data and how to how to build strategies, how to test them and so on. And if you don't know programming, then that's just incredibly difficult. And you just work on your quote unquote intuition. And unfortunately, intuition only works in the markets 50% of the time. <laughs> so in other words, it's random. Um, and so so I think I think having you you definitely get an edge an edge if you if you uh, have some understanding of programming. The other thing is, if you do know programming, what, one of the things that I always did, instead of using out-of-the-box backtesting engines and, and, and other things, I've actually always sat down and built pretty much all I needed myself. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't use anything out-of-the-box, but when you build all your own backtests, all your own systems, Uh, from scratch more or less it really trains your mind to really think deeply about what you're doing and it also helps you in the long run to understand what other people are doing let's say you then use a a platform or or, or someone else's system you can already see by from your own experience building your own stuff that uh, what they're doing or what they're perhaps not doing and that really helps you to improve a lot and And even to this day, I still always build my own systems more or less, and I very rarely rely on on third party stuff. So I know it's a bit tedious and it's a lot of work, but it really helps uh, doing things from scratch. Uh, and yes, maybe I'm a bit conservative here, but it served me well over time. So I mean, that's just my approach. And uh, yeah, and then of course, you know, constantly learn, keep keep learning, keep reading, keep improving. Um, and I still do that. Uh, you know, I live and breathe what I'm doing, and and it's fun that way. You know, you you know, I, I guess in some ways uh, I've got sort of a, a, you know a, the dream job for for many people. Mm. And uh, the only way you can get there really is just to by you know spending. A lot of time and, and hard work you know doing what you enjoy true so true thank you mm -hmm. so much tom again it was an honor a pleasure talking with you thank you for all the insights also for really great con 
con conclusions uh, for us for trading, for trading success. And I'm happy to see and hear you again very soon. And therefore, all the best to you. Thanks again, Tom. Thank you so much, Wieland. It was a pleasure to talk with you. It's nice to uh, share this. And uh, good luck to everyone who's listening. And all the best in your trading. That's already it. And I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and you took away some learnings for your personal trading. If you want to learn more about me, about my interview partners, if you want to have a one-on-one -on -one coaching or even get into a training course with me or my interview partners, just get into the show notes and follow one of all these links you find there. And then I will be happy to hear and see you again. Your Wieland Alt.